Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So here's what we've been learning. Uncertainty is nothing new. In fact, I've heard it said change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. (laughs) That's the reality. And why that is so important is so we don't get surprised by that. I don't know about you, but I find most of the Christians, when they're downcast or they're sad or they're upset, they're sad about being sad. Um, They're sad because uncertainty is nothing new, and yet uh, uncertainty has the ability to strip things from us in a way that makes us sad, and we get surprised by that. But the hope that we learned about in all of this last week is that there is a future hope. Christians are a people marked by hope. Uh, The way we described it last week is that we subconsciously, most of the time, or consciously lean our lives, the ladders of our lives, up against certain walls, uh, the walls of the security of home or our looks or our jobs or careers. And whenever those walls begin to shift and shake, it's only then that we begin to start thinking about hope and uncertainty, that we've built our life upon something that is really not quite as stable as we thought. So uncertainty is nothing new. And in fact, the more I'm reading this book, the Bible, I'm, I think I've discovered God's neighborhood, God's suburb. It's called uncertainty. If you want to go and find where God lives, it's in a little neighborhood called uncertainty. You're bound to find him there. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me that we seem to learn the best in, an, in times of uncertainty rather in times that are good. Let's do a quick straw poll here. You know, let, let's think about it. Think about the time that you might have learnt the most in life. Can I see a, a, show, a raise of hands, a show of hands for those that felt they've learnt the most in life in the good times? Have we got anyone for the good times? Okay, here, here we go. <laughs> All right, can I see a show of hands who felt they've learnt the most in life through the uncertain and difficult times? Amen. Can you see why it's God's favourite place? Because it's a place in which he can finally get through to you. Uncertainty is the place where our fears, our insecurities are often surfaced like a big piece of granite that sat before, beneath the surface for years until finally uncertainty erodes the dirt away around it and finally we can see it. It breaks, our fears, insecurities break to the light for the first time. That time with, where you're dealing with an illness or the loss of your job those times in which God finally could get through to you. So here we have on one hand, uncertainty is nothing new. It's coming. On the other hand, we have a great hope, not only that we're heading towards a wall that cannot move or be shifted, that is the unchanging love of God. But here's a question this morning. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the in-between? What do we do in the in-between of that present uncertainty and hardship and the the future hope that we have? Paul says this, here's what you do, you pray until the peace comes. One of the side effects of hope, and that's what we've been looking at last week, a side effect of hope was stability. The side effect that we look at this week is you can be a person of deep peace. Pray until the peace comes. Now, you're probably already saying, hey buddy, I'm already doing that. Hello? (laughs) That's nothing new. I've been doing that. (laughs) And I'm still just as anxious and I'm still just as worried and I'm, I'm still just as in the midst of all of the hardships. And by the way, what would you know about that, what I'm going through? (laughs) And I don't know what you're going through. And I don't stand upon my own experiences this morning. I stand upon the experiences of the guy that wrote this letter. If you look at his life, he's far more qualified to speak to you this morning than I am. I'm just a mailboy, remember? (laughs) 
verse 23 of 2 Corinthians. Look at what happens to this guy, Paul. Are they servants of Christ? I'm more. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, spent a night a day, open sea. I could go on. (laughs) Do you reckon this guy's earned the right to speak into our lives this morning? (laughs) He writes this from prison. Pray until the peace comes. The question is, what's the sort of peace that he's talking about? Because there is a counterfeit peace out there. We'll get to that in a second. But the peace that he talks about is the peace of God. The peace of the God of peace. Remember at the very last verse of Philippians chapter 4, when you focus upon these things, it says, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, there is a difference in the Bible between the God of peace and the peace of God. Romans 5 one says, Now because you were justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the peace with God. But Philippians 4 talks about the peace of God. What's the difference? The peace of God is a frame of heart that is absolutely constant and stable no matter what your external conditions are. Absolutely stable, no matter what the conditions are. And boy, do we all want that, right? Who wants that this morning? Yep. We all want that. Christians want that. Non-Christians want that. The world wants that. And here's the thing. Often the world gets it a little bit mixed up. Because often the sort of peace that the world looks for is the peace from this guy. Hey. Man, that's a, that's a guy of peace. You guys remember the Marlboro Man? Yeah. Yeah, anyone under the age of about 20 is not going to know the Marlboro Man because cigarettes and advertising got, got wiped out by about the year 2000. So uh, I'm, I've got a picture for you young and so you understand. But a few of our older crew would understand the Marlboro Man, right? <laughs> you know, he was unflappable, right? There'd be people dying around him all, everywhere, people going down, getting shot. He's just... You know, or, or he's winning awards or he's, he's saving the day and he's just. Right? Unflappable in the big times and the tough times and the good times. He's like, yep, whatever, I'm the Marlboro man. Right? Now, now that's the counterfeit. There's a counterfeit in all of this because the, the peace that the world wants is, is the sort of peace that is manufactured. That you're the sort of person, it can be a low and all shore peace, by the way. It's this sort of peace where a whole heap of stuff is going on in your life and you turn up to work tomorrow morning and you are on your last legs and you don't know what's going to happen. And people ask you, you know, how's, how's your life been? What's, what's happening? What have you been up to on the weekend? And, 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 and you try as hard as you can. <laughs> now, I'm not advertising smoking, by the way. <laughs> But you get, you get what I mean, right? You, it, it's a falsified peace that we have this, 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 this exoskeleton of peace that we put on, right? To say that everything was right, but, but what's that phrase? We're, we're like a, a, a duck on water. Everything is happening beneath the surface. And in fact, at its worst case, the true counterfeit of godly peace, biblical peace is a cynicism. A cynicism says, I don't know what's happening with the world. I don't know what's going on, but you know what? I'm, I'm just doing my thing. That's a Marlboro Man type peace. But it's not the peace that is promised to us in this passage. The peace is something deeper than that. It's a singular peace. You know the opposite of peace? 
It's not noise. <laughs> it's anxiety. It's the Greek word merinma. It, it, it means literally to be fragmented. You know that great story of Mary and Martha? Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's running around the kitchen everywhere. And Peter says, Martha, why are you so merin mouse? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so in pieces? Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, it's great, you got, it's great that you've got 300 things on your mind and I happen to be one of them. <laughs> That's nice. But Mary, Mary has me at the centre of that and she has chosen well. So the opposite of peace is a fragmentation of mind and anxiety, which, look, I say as a side note, anxiety, when we talk about that too, is something that can be physiological for us. It can be psychological for us. It could be something that doesn't get solved in a sermon. You might need to talk that through with someone, and that's okay. But let's look at now the question of if, if we don't want the counterfeit Mulroman type peace, how do we cultivate a true biblical peace? The first way you do it is you think it out. That's what we're going to see now. You think it out, you thank it out, and then you dig it out. You think it out, thank it out, dig it out. Here we go. We think it out. Uh, this is where Paul says here in chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Rejoice. <laughs> now, I'll show you how, what this means. Replace rejoice in the Lord. Notice how he says rejoice in the Lord always. Let's go through a little exercise. Replace Lord with one of your favourite things at the moment or replace it with job or your new car or your kids, right? Do that for a second. Rejoice in your job always. Rejoice in your car always. Rejoice in your kids always. Now, these can be good things. But here's the question. What is rejoicing? Rejoicing is to think out the implication of something until the emotion of that process overwhelms your reality. Have you ever been in those moments where it's a real tough season of life and yet there's a great thing happening in your life? Maybe it is a new car, that's a good thing. And you, you think on it and you rejoice. On the weekend, I'm going to go for a drive and we're going to go down the coast, we're going to get stairwell tops and oh, it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be incredible. What happens? The emotion of your life overwhelms the reality that you're in. So you were getting at what Paul is now saying. The first discipline, by the way, and this is a discipline. The first discipline you have is you think out the implications of rejoicing in what you have in God. This is so tough for us because we, we, we've got so many good things to rejoice about in life, don't we? We've got a great harbour and we've got a great city. And many of us are well provided for. That's the challenge. It's, 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 it's not about just trying to conjure up something to rejoice about. It's finding the right thing to rejoice in. And to focus on that, to live out the implications on that. So first of all, you've got to, you've got to think it out. You've got to rejoice means not just to, just to be happy. It means to think it out. The second thing that you do is you need to thank it out. Now, this is not just a repetition of the first point for our American friends. Okay, Think it out and thank it out. Yeah, you with me? Yeah. I'll just throw them out there. You laugh if you want. It's fine. <laughs> Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Now, this is the bit that we've really got to lean on Paul, okay? Because um, this is, I, wouldn't, I would never normally preach that verse straight at you, particularly if you were going through a hard time this morning. 
And, and don't we know how it goes that when we're going through these difficult times and we hear those words, do not be anxious about anything. That's what it's saying there. You know, this is not very helpful advice, is it? This is what I call a, a, a punch you in the face verse. Now, you've got to bear with me. I'm not advocating violence or smoking this morning. <laughs> but here's how, here's how it happens, right? Your friend or your spouse or someone comes along and they say that to you. You're going through this incredible um, time of hardship in your life and uncertainty. And they say, now, don't be anxious about anything. And you hear that and you just want to strangle them. <laughs> you just want to punch them in the face. You know, it's, it's like, you know, I'm sure you've all you, you heard that. And you're going through this deep uncertainty. You're going, well, you know. I never thought of that. Oh, that. That's the issue. I just, I just, yeah, you're right. I just, I shouldn't be anxious about this. Oh, thank you so much. I didn't think about that. And, and by the way, can you, can you do me a favour? Can I encourage you? Can, can you come to me three times a day for the next five days just to remind me of that? That would be really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's not what you want to hear and it's not what... Paul is saying, by the way, particularly with all that he has been through, uh, he is saying don't be anxious about anything, but he's smart enough to know that you can't leave it there. And these next two verses will see that he gives you the secret to handling difficult times without allowing the difficult times to control you. You see, here's another definition for godly peace. The Bible says peace is confident and tr- confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. Confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. And so how do you know that you understand that, that you get that, that you have that? You're going to be tapping into this. And here's what happens. You thank him in advance for what he is going to give you, whether or not you will like it. (laughs) You proactively preload the thanks. You say to him, Lord, whatever you do in response to this prayer request, it's going to be good. From your perspective, not mine. Lord, you know, I'm asking for something which, if it's at the wrong time, you don't give it to me, I thank you for that. If, I give you the, if, if, if you give me something the opposite of what I ask, even though it's going to be very, very difficult, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm not going to try and force the joy, not a fake rejoicing. <laughs> that would be very wrong. But I know, God, you're a God who knows what he's doing, and I thank you for the ordering of my life. Now, for someone listening in on this, they might be saying, well, where you're headed, that, that just sounds like a placebo. You're, you're hedging your bets, dude. That's just a Christian placebo to say if he gives you bad stuff, you're just trying to hedge your bets in case he doesn't turn up and answer your prayer. No, no, no. He, listen to what I'm saying here. Um, can, can you imagine, certainly the parents in the room, if your child, 5 p.m., that already sets the context, witching hour, as we call it. You know, imagine your child comes your child comes up to you in a witching hour and says to you, uh, Mom, um, can, I have, can I have three red frogs? I'm, I'm, really, I'm really, really tired, but I'd like three red frogs because I'm going to go hype I want a sugar rush. Uh, but you know what? Look, I'd like the three red frogs, but I also know that I'm probably a bit tired. And so therefore, whether you give me sleep or frogs, I'm not going to complain. I thank you for it. And uh, I appreciate your work, Mum. <laughs> so just... <laughs> Is that wishful thinking? <laughs> Kids like that? No. 
you know, don't give them the red frogs. They think the world's shut down, right? And they're, they're crying that they're crying. They're sad that they're sad. They're upset that, that you're withholding this from them. Their life's a disaster. They're running the other corner of the room. You know, we laugh. We laugh. But here's the reality. We're all four-year-olds in comparison to the manifold wisdom of God. Some of you are struggling to work out what you even want to wear this morning when you came to church. <laughs> How the heck do we know how to order our lives and to ordain the things that are coming in our lives that are the things that we really need? We don't know what we need. We're like a four-year-old that's on the sugar rush. We're just so overwhelmed in the tiredness that we don't know what we need. We think we need red frogs when really it's a big sleep. So to thank him in advance is not to hedge your bets. It's to understand our position before God and his manifold wisdom. It's for us to declare, remember that quote from Jonathan Edwards where he says, everything that he gives is necessary and everything that he withholds is not. It's to to declare that if I don't get this thing in my life, Lord, I thank you because it must not be necessary in in making me a person of greatness. And so Christians have this paradoxical, unique ability to thank God in advance, whether they like it or not from him. You think it out, you thank it out. Here's the last one, you dig it out. You know, if you're the person this morning that asked at the beginning, hang on, Sam, I'm praying for the, I've been praying, I've been doing the praying. What are you talking about? I am praying in the middle of all this and God doesn't seem to be showing up. You know, if ever I see a result in the Bible of things like prayer, it's a bit like watching a Jamie Oliver show. You know, if I see, if I see his souffle and my, it's looking beautiful and fluffy and light and mine is just, uh, just like, like a liquefied mess on the kitchen <laughs> um, sink after I've pulled it out of the oven, then whenever I get to that point and I've followed the instructions, then I have to go uh, either... Either I haven't fulfilled the means in the same way or my ingredients aren't right. It's got to be one of the two, right? And so I think when it comes to prayer like this and we say, I am praying, I am praying, I am praying. Yeah, maybe you're praying, but maybe the question is, are you praying the way that Paul is praying? If the result is not looking the same as Paul, then are we praying the same way? And here's what I mean by this. He says, chapter 4, verse 6 and onwards, do not be anxious about anything. We've talked about that. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, yep, I'm doing that, prayer petition, petitioning him with thanksgiving. Yep, I'm front-loading the thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Yeah, I'm giving the request to God. Yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. That's I'm, what I'm doing. I'm praying. I'm praying. Here's the thing. Present your requests. The Greek literally means reveal your requests to God. Now, when we think about revealing our requests to God, here's how it doesn't go. You don't go and pray and God up in heaven goes, oh my goodness, let me just shuffle the papers a bit. You know, actually, it's a complete surprise to me that you've asked me for that. I'm so sorry. I just The admin must have been out a little bit and um, you've caught me off guard. Okay, what, what's your prayer request? It can't possibly mean that, that when we reveal our request to God that it's somehow for his benefit. No, the revelation is for your benefit. What Paul is saying is that more often than not, you know, as, as, as one, I've heard one preacher, uh, Ortiz from the Hour of Power Ministry, once said, uh, most of our prayers are the junk mail of heaven. <laughs> These petitions that we just chuck up to him. And what Paul is saying is he's saying spend the discipline and the time to work out why you're asking for what you're asking him for. Don't just throw it up there. 
All of us can petition. We can throw it all up there. But to spend the disciplined time to work out why you are praying for what you're praying. Uncertainty can be a good thing. It surfaces the insecurity that we've talked about, these hidden values. And when you move past, help me find a job, help me sell a house, help me close a deal. When you move past of all of that, then you then begin to dig down into that. You begin to see the legitimate requests coming to the surface. Security, your concern for your family, the need to feel important you need to be viewed in a certain way by your peers you need to be viewed in a certain way by your kids the fear that perhaps god doesn't know you by name and paul says come on come on come on i want you to dig that out i want you to i want you to get underneath all of that stuff and dig out what it really is that you're praying for what are your deepest darkest desires, reasons, the stuff beneath the surface. Get that out and present that to your Heavenly Father. Most of you work in professions where you wouldn't dare prepare a report for your board of directors without hours of consideration. We're talking to the God of the universe. And Paul says, just spend the same discipline you are on board papers and reports for your manager as you are to the Lord. Think about why you are giving that prayer request. And by the way, he says, once you get to that level, now we're praying Now we're praying. Now God can really work into the things that are really happening in your life. So there it is. Think it out. Think it out. Dig it out. You see how all of those things come together to begin to quell the anxieties that we have. You know, I pray for you guys. Each Sunday morning, I pray walk circular key. It's been amazing this morning being through that process of, I've got to preach this stuff, so I figure I better work it out for myself, test run it. But just the difference when you begin to, to rejoice in what God has given us and then you begin to thank him in advance for what he's doing and then, and then to, to really work out the, the deepest levels of your insecurities that are happening. It can be in ministry, it can be in life. This stuff works, it has worked over the years. But look, here's, here's, here's the tough bit. I can't give you the last piece. In fact, I actually can't give you the thing that you're looking for this morning because we can have the disciplines we can have the means to get us to the place the place that Paul talks about in the passage here this is what we really want we talked about the steps but there's something that we really want here we're talking about rejoicing we're talking about thanking him in advance we're talking about digging out this stuff but this verse 7 is the thing that I cannot give you it's the thing that you want verse 7 and the peace of God which transcends all human comprehension, will be given to you. And it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, some of you are hurting big time this morning. Some of you, I wish that in these words we could just zap you with the peace of God. I wish there was a little fire hose reel or cupboard out the back there that we could just take you to or plug you into like a Tesla car or something. You know, and we, could just, we could just juice you up with the peace of God. But it is a great mystery that, in fact, we wouldn't be doing this thing if we could give it to you. Otherwise, it's just some interesting form of, of selling scheme for you, isn't it? There is a deep mystery in this that you have to do the time and put yourself in a place where in his supernatural way by the Holy Spirit, this peace will descend upon you. I can only pray that in for you. I can't speak that into your life this morning. 
But here's the bottom line. When it says to guard your heart, that word literally means to garrison. It means to like build a wall around it, like those ancient walls in a fort or a prison. It literally means this peace will garrison your heart. It means that, look, the reason why you're so anxiety-ridden is because you've not invited God potentially to stand guard over your heart and your mind. You're a Martha. You've, you've busted out of the walls and you're running in 500 different directions. And God says, if you just allowed me to come in and what I teach you to come in and allow me to stand guard over your heart and your mind, then I can give you some certainty in uncertainty. Paul, Paul got this. He saw this. He said, in these times of uncertainty, we're to pray until the peace comes. We're to stay on our knees. We're to turn our faces to, towards him. And we're to pray through those disciplines until that moment when it just envelopes us. And sometimes too, you know, I think so often our biggest challenge is that we, we desperately want the peace of God, but we forget to want the God of peace. Seek the God of peace and you'll get his peace, the peace of God thrown in. But it's to, it's to have the discipline of being in prayer and allowing him to move into your life in the most mysterious of ways and to do the real work in you. I love what C.S. Lewis says about prayer. He says, I've learnt that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. <laughs> because you pray until the peace comes. So I want to give you guys a head start up on this as you leave today. Get your pens ready. Get your phones ready. Get ready to write something down. Here's how you're going to get a heads up on this application this week before we even move out of these doors. I want you to answer these questions now. We're going to give you a bit of space. First question, the first prayer actually. It's a prayer that you're going to pray to him. Heavenly Father, I need you to... You fill in the blank. Heavenly Father, I need you to... You fill in the blank. Because if you don't, I'm afraid that you fill in the blank. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to do that. Heavenly Father, I need you to... Because if you don't, I'm afraid that. Peace. <laughs> Didn't think you get a Sunday like that where you don't hear Sam talk for that period of time. <laughs> Please don't move out these doors without at least beginning to have something down to work on this week. And as we get ready to finish up this morning, another show of hands. We've been very physical this morning. But I want to see another show of hands here. I'm expecting a few from these guys over in this region here. They know who they are, the B-52s. But I want to see a show of hands of anyone in this place that has experienced the peace of God in the most uncertain and turbulence of times. Friends, look around. This is not preacher talk. You can put your hands down. It's not preacher talk. It's not textbook talk. People have lived this out. There is someone that you could have a coffee with that has applied this sermon to their life for the last 30 years. You just got 20 minutes of an overview in this. Don't miss the opportunity in community 
And many of you are going to think, look, I'm going to run straight out the door. I don't want to talk to anyone this morning. You know, the greatest learning point that you might have before you leave this, this place this morning is not from, the, not from the message or the worship, but because of a conversation that you had with someone that had that hand up. If it was the person next to you, just, and you've never met them, say, so you're, you're a person who's experienced peace. What was that like for you? Don't leave the auditorium. Stay here. But the great comfort and hope I have in this, and when I get this, I wish you could all see the sea of hands the way I saw in that, is that we are a place where people have lived this. This stuff is true, not just because it's God's work and it's credible. It's true because it works, right, church? And so what do we do in the meantime? We do what Christians over all the years have done. We do what Northsiders have done over the years. We pray until the peace comes. My prayer for you now as we get ready to take communion. Is the deep alchemy, as C.S. Lewis would, would put it, the deep mystery, the deep magic is that God's peace would descend on you this morning, particularly if you're a person in great turmoil and uncertainty this morning, that it would, def- it would just descend on you. What do you do in the midst of it? You pray until it comes, the peace comes. Let's pray now. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.